When I was living in Franklin years ago, um, my wife and I were attending, my family was, was attending First Baptist Church of Franklin. Uh, I, I, was a, I was a volunteer youth pastor, and uh, we were, as a family, we were highly in, involved in the church. I don't know why. We've just always been highly involved, and, and, uh, and it was a good church. It was, a, it, was, it was my foundation. I'll never be mad at the church I grew up in. They, they held some things from me. They made some mistakes along the way, but I'm still grateful for the church that I got my roots from. And um, Franklin's a small town. It's not a big town. And there was a guy that lived across the street, and his name was Curtis. And Curtis wasn't the most popular guy in town. He grew up poor, uneducated. He was usually dirty. His clothes were always stained. His teeth didn't always seem to be brushed. His hair was never done, and he had a, a bit of a smell. He lived across the street from the church, and we would see him from time to time out in the yard. And He was a little slow mentally, and his grammar wasn't real good. Somehow or another, he managed to get married, had a few kids, and, and Curtis hit a, hit a rough spot in life. And one day, he walked across the street and came to church. And when Curtis walked into the church, I saw him come into the church, and I felt, I felt the hardness of our church. Because this dirty dude walked into the church, and we weren't ready for him. And so after church, I, I greeted him. I think we exchanged phone numbers, and he was going through a tough season. His wife was leaving him. She was taking the kids. His dad was mad at him. And I started to spend some time with Curtis, trying to disciple him. I introduced him to Jesus, and he was saved, and tried to disciple him and tried to just get him to, you know, get him back on his feet and, and help him walk and grow closer to God. And, and Curtis, hit a, he had a bad spot one day. Everything had just kind of piled up on him, and he went out drinking, and he got in a fight, and he, he got his jaw broke. And he calls me somewhere around midnight, and Asked me if I could go take him to the hospital. But when it was all said and done, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, we were in New Orleans somewhere trying to find a charity hospital for him to get his jaw fixed. And I spent time with Curtis. My wife got mad at me because I tried to move him in the house. <laughs> right? Yep. I didn't say that wrong. Okay. <clears throat> she said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you can disciple him over there. I said, okay. And so I did. And I spent some time with Curtis until eventually he got on his feet and he moved along. The reason I'm telling you this story today is because I believe the only way we will reach this region that God has given us of Acadia Parish, St. Landry Parish, and Evangeline Parish is if we open our hearts to the lost. So the title of my message today is Open Your Heart. Just open your heart. And I'm going to show you in the story of Saul getting converted, how God used a man, but before he could use him, he had to open his heart. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Starting in verse 1, we pick up the story. Saul had just, had just given approval and probably led and organized the the, the murder party of Stephen. If you remember the story a couple weeks ago, Saul was, sitting, was standing there giving approval to the people that were stoning Stephen, and ultimately they murdered Stephen simply because he was a follower of Jesus. You see, they weren't really mad at Jesus' followers. They were mad at Jesus, but they couldn't get to Jesus, so they got to his followers. And Saul was standing there, and the Bible clearly says that he gave approval of the murder of Stephen. So we pick the story up in verse 1. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats. Listen to how it describes this. Saul was uttering threats with every breath. You know what I see when I, when I read that? I see Saul standing there going, hmm. <sighs> 
The Bible says he's uttering threats with every breath. That means that it's, it's this, this angst that he has against Jesus, it's, it's consumed him to the point that every breath he takes is focused on annihilating the followers of Jesus. We got to understand the severity of this story because Saul was not a good guy. He was an educated guy in the religious ways, but he was not a good guy. It says he was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So not only is he breathing threats and eager to kill, he's now got legal approval. He got a permission slip to go and arrest believers and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. So hopefully once they go through trial, he can kill them. So who is this Saul anyway? Well, Saul, you'll later learn, is, is the guy we know as the Apostle Paul. Paul is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He would become a powerful force to bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles and to even kings. He would become a tremendous church planner. He plants churches all over the place. That's who he becomes, but it's not who he is right now. And we pick the story up with where he is right now. He didn't start that way. He was highly educated in the law. The Bible says he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. His teacher was Gamaliel. This is important. His teacher, his teacher was more gracious than he was. So evidently, Paul or Saul was learned, he was learned, but he, he, he didn't take on the personality and the characteristics of his teacher because his teacher was Gamaliel. And if you back up to chapter 5, Gamaliel was the guy who when all the apostles got arrested and they were trying to, to kill him then, he's the one who stepped in and said, listen, if this is God, you can't stop it. But if it's not God, it's going to fall apart. So just let him go. And by the grace of Saul's teacher Gamaliel, the apostles were able to continue to build the kingdom of God. But Saul didn't see it that way. There was no grace. These were sick people that needed to be taken off the planet. <laughs> Think about the believers in this moment. Stephen's just murdered. So they scatter, right? They scatter, and, and the gospel's being spread all over the place now. But there's still that, that memory, that emotional feeling tied to a memory of what happened to Stephen. It was not a good thing. It was not a gentle thing. They took rocks, and they threw rocks at him until he died. That's still in them. Most of them ran for their lives. And now Saul, the guy who approved that murder, has a permission slip to go to their house, drag them out, put them in chains, and bring them back to Jerusalem. Do you think the believers were a little nervous? Why keep following Jesus if it's that bad? I gave my life to Jesus not to get killed. Nobody said I might get killed. Nobody said I might get hurt. Nobody said I might get thrown in prison. Nobody told me that when they told me about Jesus. They didn't tell me all those things. All they knew was that Saul was coming after them, and they had no clue who he would become. You see, it's rare to find someone who will see your potential like God does. Can I say that again? It's rare to find someone who can see your potential like God does. 99.9% .9 of us judge people from the outside. 
In fact, we probably judge way faster than we ever try to gain God's perspective about that person. My little buddy Curtis, when he walked into the church, he immediately got judged. It's very rare that you'll find someone who will take the time and seek God to see the potential that is inside of another person. They're running for their lives. And if I'm honest with you, I probably wasn't praying God show me who who Saul really is. Knowing myself and my weaknesses, I was probably praying, God, I pray a tree falls on that dude. If I'm just being honest. I'm probably preparing my household for when he comes in. I'm going to hit that brother with something. You follow me? Because you can only run so far and you can only hide so long. Sooner or later, you got to address what's coming after you. Let's go to verse 3. So Saul's on his way with a permission slip to Damascus. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Listen to his response. Who are you, Lord? Now, now if you think about that, that, that response, there's a few questions should pop up. He says, who are you, Lord? How can he call him Lord if he doesn't even know who he is? Well, the reason I believe he called him Lord because it was a power greater than he had ever experienced in his life and something inside of him said, you better submit to this power. Who are you, Lord? I think it's hilarious. He's the one you're trying to take out. (laughs) And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do next. Don't you just love it when Jesus walks in with some authority? I mean, he just shows him a little light. And before you know it, the brother's on his knees. This is big, bad Saul. So think about this. While the believers are getting ready to run and hide or maybe even fight, Jesus is touching Saul's life. So don't tell me Jesus doesn't know how to arrest someone. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't know how to get somebody's attention. Don't tell me that you've given up on somebody because if you say that you've given up on somebody, what you're really saying is I gave up on Jesus' ability to touch them. It says a light. Let's talk about the light for a minute. This light must have been pretty powerful. He's walking with his companions, and the Bible says a light shone around him. It didn't say it shone around anybody else, but just him. It was a force, evidently, that he had never experienced before. and It was a force that he had to deal with because it caused him to drop to his knees Who are you, Lord? You know why I love the presence of God? Because it brings me to my knees. You remember the the verse that says, every knee will bow? (laughs) Even Saul's. It was the powerful force called the presence of Jesus. You see, we're limited in our ability to change people, but Jesus has no limits. I've tried to muscle people. I've tried to force people. I've tried to intimidate people into change. None of it works. I'm limited. Jesus has no limits. And when Jesus wants to change somebody's life, he does. He needs no permission and he, needs, and he has no limits. Saul says, who are you, Lord? I don't believe Saul knew exactly who was responsible for this powerful light that just arrested him. And so Jesus tells him, 
He says, I'm the one you're persecuting. Listen to what Paul's revelation, I think Paul's revelation is. All of a sudden, Paul goes, "Uh uh-oh, this Jesus. This is the one I'm mad at because he stirred up my religious system. This is the one I'm jealous of because he could do things I only wish I could have done. This is the one who who made us all look bad. This is the one who exposed our religiosity. This Jesus. And by the way, this is the same Jesus that I just killed his best friend. But let me tell you, it's a powerful thing when God pulls back the scales from our eyes and shows us who we've been and who we are and what's going on in our lives. And he shows us the idiot that we've been all this time. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the Lord to show you the darkness in your heart because then it can come out. Verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and this is where we, we get the point of the message. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him, watch this, in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now, this is like super cool. Saul is getting a vision now of a man named Ananias who's coming in to pray for him, and he's getting a vision of how it's going to happen. I I skipped something. Jesus said, get up and go into the city. He goes into the city. The The guys help him. He gets put into a house. And he's blind. Left that out. He's blind now, and he's basically sitting in his house blind. But he has a vision. (laughs) Look at what he says. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. He even tells him his name. He must have knew Ananias was going to go. You getting something? So you're getting ready to see God open Ananias' heart to Saul. Jesus said, go. Ananias had a vision. Last week, if you weren't here, we talked about Philip getting a word from God to go down south towards Gaza. And that was basically it. (laughs) So Philip gets a word. Go south down the street or the the, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's it. So the Bible says that Philip goes. He never knows what's on the road to Gaza unless he goes, right? Right? But he just had a word. The Holy Spirit said, go. So he just went. He just just responded. I think God's looking for people who are willing to just respond. Like, just go. Okay. (laughs) We're going this way now. What's funny is, is as a leader of my household, sometimes it can get really difficult to respond to God like that because you got a whole household following you. So Cheryl and I have had to learn over the years to respect the voice of God when he says to go, we need to be ready to shift, redo, recalculate, and move as a family. It's not just me, it's my whole family. But I'm the head of the household, God says. I'm not running around with that title, but I'm the one that's leading my family. So if I'm ready to go anytime God wants me to go, then my family needs to be ready to go. Well, this is so good because if your family's not ready, you're going to get pulled back. That's why as men, we need to spiritually lead our families. Because if they're not ready, it all falls on leadership. 
If they're not ready, who dropped the ball? So Philip gets a word with no, no details. It'd be like the Holy Spirit telling you, I want you to take off down 190, go west. Can I take my truck? <laughs> and you go west until you figure out what you're going west for. Philip gets a word, Ananias gets a vision. Two different situations. A word is audible only. A vision is visual and audible at the same time. A, a vision is really cool because you kind of get to see what you're getting ready to walk into. I, I've got friends that see visions. I've got friends that dream dreams. So I've seen a few visions. God showed me a few things. Um, sometimes he, he, most of the time he just gives me a word, but sometimes he gives me a vision to go. I'm expecting to hear from God any way that he chooses to speak. By no means would I ever say only speak to me this way. That would be foolish. Instead, I'm like, Lord, just speak to me. I'm expecting a dream, a vision, or a word. That's part of preparing yourself and your household to follow his command. So Ananias gets a vision with lots of details. Ananias was a disciple. He wasn't, it's believed he wasn't one of the original disciples. He wasn't saved in Jerusalem. It's actually believed that he was saved in Damascus. Why is that important? Because Ananias was the byproduct of the church being scattered into other nations, and he's a first fruits in a sense of this new move of God that's going, that's moving out from Jerusalem into the world. He's one of the first fruits. Why is that so important? Because I want you to understand that you don't have to be an apostle to do apostle-like things. You don't have to be an original disciple to do original-type things. You follow me? You can be somebody who got saved a little later on, and you can still do everything that everybody else does. Why? Because your heart is yielded to God to be used by God. Amen. Titles never qualify anybody. In fact, all they're good for is exposing your heart. So the Lord calls his name and he answers right away. Let me just encourage you with that. Answer right away. Don't sit there and try to figure out if it's God. Just answer. You'll find out. Right away. Because procrastination will lead you away. Trying to figure out if it's God is actually just a hiding technique. Because some of us are scared. Let's be honest. It sounds good and feels good to say, Lord, use me. But boy, when he wants to use me, uh-oh. Ruh-roh. I, like, I didn't mean it. You know, I, was just, I was in church. I got caught up. You know, I got caught up with the crowd. and you know, I was running with the wrong crowd. Like, oh, that. I'm good. Me on by. Pass me on by. Just <laughs> Go see so-and-so. They'll do it. <laughs> so the Lord tells him to go to a specific street, a specific house, and speak to a specific man named Saul. And he tells him that Saul's having a vision also. I mean, like, when, when, when he says that, or I see that, I'm like, I'm going just because I want to make sure that, you know, like, did he really have a vision too? So, like, I would go in there and take care of business, and then afterwards I'd be like, bro, did you really see a vision? Like, did you see me? Like, me? Look at me. Did you see me? Coming in here and laying hands on you? Did you see that? Did you know it was me and my name would be Ananias? Do you have a curiosity with God? Do you have a curiosity to see what he can do? 
Is there a childlike curiosity in you that kind of wants to go to Disneyland? Like, I'd like to go to Disney, not me personally, but like, like some kids would like to go to Disneyland just to see if it's really all that the TV says it is. Isn't there a curiosity inside of you to see if God is all who he says he is? You can't fulfill, you can't feel that curiosity on the sofa. You can't, you can't accomplish and, and satisfy that curiosity in disobedience. So the Lord makes sure that he has instructions and that these instructions have details and they're crystal clear. Here's a question for you you need to answer. Are you ready to respond when you receive a vision or a word from God? Are you ready? Let me explain that for a minute. Are you ready? What does that mean? Am I ready? How do I get ready? Is your heart ready? Because if your heart's not ready, then nothing's going to happen. Is your heart ready? Have you made room in your heart to receive a word from God, to receive a vision from God, to act out in obedience no matter how you feel? Have you prepared your heart and your emotions to do something it probably doesn't want to do? Are you prepared personally? Answer that question honestly. If your heart is prepared, watch this, you are anticipating and expecting God to tell you to do something. If you have no expectation and no, no anticipation for God to speak to you or to even say something to you, then your heart's not even ready. That doesn't mean he can't shine a light on you like Saul and, and come in and arrest you. He can do anything he wants to by God. He's God. But is your heart ready? Then you got to answer this question. Is my life ready? I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your schedule. Is your life so busy that even God can't get in? Are you so consumed with your work and your task and the things that you've been feel like you're forced to do that you don't even have room for God to come in and move in your life? Is your schedule prepared with room for God to move? Is there enough energy at the end of the day for God? Come on, because you can want all you want to, but if you ain't ready, you ain't ready. Is your heart ready? Is your life ready? Are your relationships ready? Is your family ready? Come on, I'm just trying to get you ready. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to get you ready to be used by God because listen to me, God is moving on this planet every day. And if you don't know that, it's probably because your heart is closed off and you haven't made any room for him. But listen to me, repent, make room, and he will use you. Amen. He will use you and you'll never be more satisfied than when you're being used by God. Your life will never be more fulfilled than when you're being used by God. So are you ready? If you're not, and you're being honest that you're not, what are you willing to do to get ready? Are you willing to quit something? Sell something? Uh-oh. Take something off the calendar? Are you even willing to tell somebody, I'm sorry, but I overcommitted. I really need to back out of this if there's time. I need to back out of this because I overcommitted. I didn't make room for God and I shouldn't have took this, but I did. Can I, can... Are you ready?
Somebody drunk all my water. Maybe it wasn't my water. That bottle might have the COVID. Now let's move it over there. All right, six inches apart. Okay. It's a bottle. Sorry. All right. Verse 13. Here's Ananias' response. I want you to see his closed heart. It's still closed right now, by the way. It's still closed. We're going to unpack this for a minute. But Lord, he exclaimed, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. He gave Jesus his whole excuse based on what he heard. He let something that he heard, gossip or rumors or whatever it is, keep him from doing what God wanted him to do because he heard something, whether it was true or not. But the Lord said, come on, somebody. <laughs> but the Lord said, I love, you know what I love about Jesus is he'll let you give him your excuses. He'll listen. He'll listen to every excuse you got to say. He'll listen to every word you want to say. The reason why I believe is because he's allowing you to listen to your own excuses. You ever hear yourself talk? You hear yourself think, don't you? You hear yourself talk too. Sometimes it's in the middle of giving your excuses that you realize you're making excuses. The question is, is will you stop making excuses or stick with the excuse plan? <laughs> But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, biggest words in this whole story. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Ananias' excuse was based on what he heard. What he heard created a belief inside of him. What he listened to allowed Saul to become bigger than his God because of what he listened to. You see, you got to manage your thoughts, and you need, to, you need to really guard your ears as well because the Bible says to guard your heart, but how does something get into your heart? Usually through your ears and your head. Right? It gets into your heart. So you got to really be careful to guard your heart by what you hear and what you think. You can't, be, you can't be ignorant and you can't be complacent with your thoughts and with what you're listening to. Because whatever you listen to is what you feed yourself with. Because the enemy is trying to make whatever it is in your life bigger than your God so that you succumb to fear of that thing versus a fear of God. But if you'll flip the script and you'll manage your thoughts and you'll guard your ears and in turn guard your heart, when the enemy starts to whisper, you'll get really good at saying, shut up. And instead of telling people to shut up, you'll start telling the enemy to shut up. Who really needs to shut up, right? Like, shut up. I ain't got time to listen to this mess. That ain't true. That ain't God. I ain't worried about that. My God's bigger than that. You need to learn how to talk back when the enemy's talking to you. Shut him down. Don't sit there and take it like you got no power. Shut him down. I just keep thinking these same old thoughts. Shut them down. I'm responsible for my thoughts. Nobody else is. Can I say that one more time? 
I am responsible for my thoughts. I'm also responsible for what I allow into my heart. I, I own a couple of rent houses in town, and they're not mansions by any means. And I had to go change a faucet yesterday. And so I, I communicated with the, with the person. I said, hey, you got time? I need to come change a faucet. Sure, come on. So I walk into the house, and the TV's like blaring. And, and I mean, I run my household a certain way, and I try not to judge. <laughs> come on, somebody. <laughs> Don't leave me hanging. But sometimes you kind of walk into other people's situation, you kind of go, oh, why are you doing that? Why is the TV so loud? Oh, my God. And so I'm, I'm just like, let's get in, get out, move on. You know, I'm like, I wouldn't have my TV that loud. And, and then I, I'm, I'm fiddling with the faucet, and I start listening to what they're watching. They got two small kids. The best I can say, it was, it was pretty much soft porn. But not all the way. It was really close. And the kids are in the house. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Boy, I wanted to say something and I wanted to, mm. and some of you are like, I'd have said something. And they're laughing and they're cutting up. And I said, Lord, wow, the kids are in here. He's like, I know. Look at what they're feeding them. They're responsible. They're responsible for what their kids listen to. They're responsible for what they feed themselves. I'm responsible. So how does Ananias get from fear of Saul to going to help Saul. Let me see if I can show it to you. Jesus gives him two things in his statement to him, in his instructions. The first thing he gives him is the why. He doesn't always give the why, though. He didn't give Philip the why last week. He just told him to go. But for some reason, he gives Ananias the why. Now, Philip and, and the Holy Spirit didn't have a a confrontation where Philip said, no, I ain't going. I'm, like, I'm going this way. They didn't have that confrontation. Maybe it was just Philip's maturity was at a different place. I don't know. I can't say I know for sure. But for whatever reason, Philip got a word and went. Ananias gets tons of instructions, and he even gets the why. Here's the why. Listen to what, God, what, what Jesus told him. He said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. But this is Saul, like he's the one who has permission to kill me. Like, like are you tripping, Jesus? This dude's going to kill me. Did you not see what he did to Stephen? Stephen said he saw you, but did you not see Stephen when he got killed? Like, are you crazy? Go. He's my chosen vessel. My chosen instrument. To take my message to the Gentiles and to kings and to the people of Israel. The first thing Jesus gives him is the why. And if that wasn't enough, he gives him some assurance. Watch what he says in verse 16. I've always questioned why did he say this? And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Like why you got to tell Ananias that? Ain't none of his business. Could it be that Jesus was reassuring Ananias that I'm fully aware of Saul's sin? I'm fully aware of his permission slip. I'm fully aware of what he did to Stephen. I'm fully aware of his capabilities, but he's still my chosen instrument. He's going to suffer for it. 
But don't worry, I'm on top of my game. I got this. I know who I'm dealing with. I know who I'm sending you to. I'm not sending you to a place that I have nothing, I don't know, I know nothing about. I'm sending you to someone I know everything about. And it doesn't matter what he's done on the outside. I'm going to deal with that. You just go do what I want you to do because I'm going to get on the inside. So he gives him assurance. He's afraid. But he goes anyway. Verse 17 is where Ananias' heart goes open. So Ananias went. <laughs> he just went. He just went for it. Like he just did it. He just went. He had his little tiff. You know this dude you sent me to? Yeah, go. He's mine. I'm going to use him. Okay. He went. What happened? His heart came open. His heart was closed to Saul because of who Saul was and all that he knew about Saul. But what he didn't know was what God knew about Saul. What he didn't know was how God could use Saul. So it's not our job to figure out how God's going to use somebody before we'll act out in obedience to go and reach that somebody. It's our job just to go and help that somebody and let God deal with what he's going to do with them. Amen? Amen? So stop trying to figure it out. You're just hiding behind an excuse. Just simply go, let God use you, and you'll get so addicted to that that you'll start to walk away from some of the sins you're getting addicted to because you're hiding from God. Just go. He went. He went and found Saul. Okay. It's not complicated. I I think Jesus has made it as simple as possible for us, right? It's, It's not go to the man's house, put your hand on his shoulder, and pray for him. It's not hard, right? It's not hard. It's simple. But what's so hard about it? We make it hard. We really make it hard when we refuse to be real with God. We make it really difficult when we don't even tell him our excuses. Instead, we stiffen up and we just sit there. And we don't move. You see, the thing I love about this story is it tells us how Ananias felt. That's what I love about the Bible. It is just real. Right? That's what I love about David. He's just real. I don't want to do that. That's perfectly fine to say. As long as you go do that. (laughs) And you can do that the whole time you don't want to do that. Some of you doing it already. You're going to go to work tomorrow even though you don't want to go to work tomorrow. But you go to work tomorrow. Right? And you're working the whole time you don't want to be there. So why not tell God, I don't want to do that? And then why not listen to what he has to say after that? And then go do that. That's how we reach this region. He don't want to go. Jesus ain't mad about how you feel, by the way. He's not mad about how you feel. 
I've never once read in the Bible where he took somebody out because of how they felt. He's willing to debate. He's willing to speak to that. He's willing to help you with how you feel. But he's not afraid of how you feel. He's not mad at you about how you feel. In fact, I think he's grateful that we actually tell him how we feel. Because when we tell him how we feel, it goes back to that thing of you hear yourself telling him how you feel. Is this making sense? Jesus knew he was afraid. Maybe that's why he gave Ananias the why. Maybe that's why he took the time to reassure him that he knew everything about Saul. You see, I believe, my personal belief is that Jesus gave him the why and the reassurance because he knew he was afraid and he wanted him to go. Which a part of me goes, well, why would you even ask Ananias if you already know he's afraid? Why would you ask me if so-and-so's better at it than I am? Do you think maybe he was working in Ananias just as much as he was working in Saul? Do you think maybe he used Ananias to also work in Saul? Because you see, it's one thing to receive something from Jesus, to receive correction from Jesus and have a light shine around you and have an experience with Jesus. That's one thing to have an experience with Jesus. It's another thing when one of Jesus' followers comes and it fleshes out right in front of you. Because think about this. Saul is sitting there getting a vision that this guy's coming to lay hands on him. And I bet he's wondering if the guy's really going to come. Watch this. This is so important. So when Ananias walks in the room, Saul gets a revelation that, oh my gosh, Jesus is actually real. He showed it to me and now it's happening. Do you think he understood forgiveness in that moment? Do you think he understood grace in that moment? Do you know you can be the grace of God in somebody's life? Do you know that you walking into somebody's room and just being in a relationship with them can be so loud and so powerful because you walked in as the grace of God? He never wastes a moment. I mean, Jesus worked the whole thing. <laughs> he worked every angle. Think about it. He worked every single angle. Why choose Ananias? Hmm. Why choose Saul? Hmm. Why choose you? Hmm. You won't know until you go. I love how God's always willing to reassure us. Can I just tell you something, church? One of my greatest desires for you is that you would just be real with God. Just get real with God. If you're frustrated, tell him you're frustrated and tell him why. If you're mad, tell him you're mad. If you're happy, tell him you're happy. Just get real with him. Lord, I'm discouraged. Lord, I'm disappointed. Lord, I'm confused. I mean, for some of us, it's like going to the doctor and not telling them what our symptoms are and expecting them to heal us. I need to see the doctor. Okay, what's going on? Just need to see the doctor. Okay. Make an appointment. You walk in, the doctor goes, so how can I help you? You tell me. Figure it out, doc. Well, what's bothering you? Nothing. Is there something hurting? Mm -mm. How stupid is that? Right? 
Jessalyn, you ever get a case like that? You did? For real? Wow, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I give this world too much credit. <laughs> Just get real with him. Here's the thing we got to understand. When we don't have God's perspective on someone, we struggle to understand them, which usually leads to judging them. So before you judge someone, why don't you ask God to see them like he does? This could be potentially the best marriage advice I could give you. This could potentially be some of the best advice I ever give you is before you ever judge somebody, take the time and ask God to help you see them like he sees them. Because here's what God knows. He knows what you don't know. You're making a judgment call based on what you know, but you only know a little part. God knows the whole story. So if you'll take the time and say, God, would you help me to understand? Would you give me a greater perspective before I react and before I act and before I say what I feel like I'm about to say? Maybe you'll change what you're about to say. So I believe in this moment that Ananias' heart was opened. Here's a question for you. Is your heart closed to anyone today? Have you written someone off? Have you given up? Have you thrown your hands in the air? Are you ready to walk away? Are you ready to bail out, take off, blow up? Is your heart closed to anyone? It could be a family member, a spouse, a child, a parent, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, a cousin. It could be a friend. My best friend in the whole world the other day confessed to me he started drinking again, and I was tempted to write him off. I'll just be honest with you. Just a transparent moment for you. I was tempted to write him off because I was mad at him. I was mad at him. The thought that ran through my head was like, what in the hell are you doing? I was ready to write him off, but I didn't. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Ananias went and found Saul. His heart was opened up to the man who was trying to kill him. The man who came with a permission slip to arrest him. He opened his heart even to that man. And he went and found Saul. And because he found Saul, we have most of the New Testament. We have churches planted all over the place. God accomplished his will through Ananias' obedience. You see, we're not called to straighten people out. Jesus does that. We're called to obey Jesus. Ananias didn't go and straighten Saul out. Jesus did. Ananias went as a vessel and unchained Saul. Released something over Saul. There's power in laying on of hands. But what I find really amazing about this whole story is that even though we're not called to straighten people out, this whole thing took place on the street called Straight. It was on Straight Street. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> but it's serious. How many people you know need to get met on Straight Street? Is there anybody you've closed your heart to? The girls are going to lead us in a moment of worship, and I'm going to 
I want to give you an opportunity to respond today. If your heart has been closed and it's not been opened, all you got to do is simply repent, confess, allow God to change your mind and change your heart. Then your actions will start to change. If you've not prepared yourself to hear from God and to be used by God and you feel a conviction in your heart right now to change some things in your life, now's a moment to do that. You don't have to wait. You can change it right now. You need to repent. Allow Jesus to wash you, forgive you, And then go make the necessary preparations to be used by God. I scheduled my life one time so much so that God didn't use me for a couple of years. I got busy, I was building a company trying to accomplish some things. I had plans and goals and all these things, and I went for it. I gave everything I had to it, and that was the problem is I gave everything I had to it and not to God. And so I went through a dry season of not being used by God, not hearing his voice for a while, no visions, no word, no nothing, just just going on along. I went to church every day, served every day, read my Bible, prayed, all those different things, just never heard from God. Why? Because I didn't make room for him. There is nothing, listen to me clearly, there is absolutely nothing on this planet that is worth more than making room for God. So I'm going to start praying and the altars are open. There'll be a few leaders up here to pray for you. If you need somebody to pray for you, the girls are going to sing something and I just want to deal with it. Like, don't walk out of here undealt with. Deal with it. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you need somebody to pray for you. Sometimes you need somebody to lay your hands on you, Saul. Scales might fall. So, Jesus, I come to you right now, and I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy for us. I thank you that you're always right there waiting for us to turn. Waiting for us to make room. Wanting to help us open our hearts to the lost, to anyone that you would cause us to run into, Jesus. Thank you that you love Saul as much as you loved Ananias. Thank you that you love the Ethiopian as much as you love Philip. Thank you that you love every one of us. this message if there was nobody here that needed to hear it. It's it's simple. Lord, my heart's been closed to this person. Lord, I wrote this person off or I was tempted to write this person off. Lord, I was ready to give up on them. Lord, help me to see them the way you see them. I know who I know that they are, God, but you know the rest of their story. Help me to see it the way you see it. Help me to treat them the way you treat them, God. Help me to go beyond what I've heard and beyond what I've seen and just go by what you tell me, Lord. Lord, open my heart. Open my heart. Open my heart to my spouse. Open my heart to my kid. 
Open my heart to my sister or my brother. Open my heart to my parents, my grandparents, my relatives. Lord, open my heart to my friends, my co-workers, my neighbors. Open my heart, Lord. Open my heart. Lord, forgive me for not making room for you. Forgive me for not preparing my heart for you. I've not made any room for you in my heart. I'm not ready. But Lord, I want to be ready. Lord, forgive me for, for not preparing my life for you. I'm overscheduled. I'm overbooked. I'm, I don't have enough time. There's not enough margin. I've, I've taken on too much. Lord, help me. I'm sorry. Forgive me and help me. Show me what I need to get rid of. Show me where I need to make room. Show me where you want to come in. Help me. Sometimes your best prayer is help. 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 Help me, Lord. Help me to respond like Philip. Help me to go and find. I don't want anyone else. Help me to step out of this place that I'm in. I've felt things, I've thought things about them, Lord. I've given up time and time again. I've given up and I've thrown in the towel and I've walked away and I've, I've, I've complained and griped and murmured about them, Lord. Help me. Help me. That doesn't honor you. It doesn't bring glory to you. But that's what I've done, Lord, and I just bring it to you right now because I need help with it. I need help, Lord. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to judge people. I want to I gain your perspective and I want to understand what you understand, God. Help me to see. Help me to understand. in isolation Lord help me out maybe that's your prayer today Lord help me out help me to find my way out this is not where you want me I don't belong here help me to understand why I got here and then touch that in my life Help me, Lord.
I need to go to Straight Street. Lord, would you meet me on Straight Street? that your heart stays open to us no matter what we do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.